There's two times we can work on building emotional competence during their times of upset and during their times of calm. And guess when our kids are going to learn best? Guess when we usually try to teach them? Of course, we still need to do both and we need tools for both. But obviously, our kids learn best during quiet times when their minds are calm, when they don't have so much adrenaline flushing through their system, when they're not in their fight, flight, or freeze response, right? Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look and some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads. Love where you live. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. I am so glad we're covering this topic. Such an important topic. Last week, I dug into the topic on kids' mental health, but I didn't get to all of the material that I wanted. So we're continuing this week with part two. If you didn't hear last week's episode yet, you may want to go back and listen to that first or right after this one. I covered the current state of our kids' mental health and four areas where parenting can have a really big impact on kids' mental health, both short and long-term. So today I'm going to cover two more key areas and then discuss what to look for when children are struggling because it often looks very different than it does in adults. Any parent who lost their child to a mental health issue, be it depression or drug addiction that led to suicide, will tell you that they had no idea how much they were struggling. And that is also very true, even in my case with my younger son. So I want to give you the tools to have early recognition and then the resources and a plan. So the first area I'm going to discuss today is where we can help our kids develop a strong foundation for mental health. And I've talked about it a lot in a lot of episodes on this show, and that is teaching emotional competence, also sometimes known as emotional regulation or emotional intelligence. So if you've listened for a while and you're implementing that in your home, you're already doing one of the most important pieces to help your child develop this skill that supports their mental health. 
So emotional competence is the ability to understand, use, and manage our own emotions in positive ways. It doesn't mean we're always happy. It means that we can connect with them and use them to get our needs met to propel ourselves forward. It's a vitally important skill because it colors every single interaction that we have. Not only that, it actually profoundly influences the relationship we have with ourselves and with others. It is the way we show up for ourselves and for others in the world. So this is a vital piece to mental health for everyone. So let's think about the difference of a life experience if we understand our own emotions, if we know what they are, we can connect to them immediately, we know what we're feeling, then we can ask ourselves, where is this stemming from? What is this coming from? And easily recognize that. And then we learn and we know how to communicate that effectively. We can communicate our feelings, our wants, and our needs with those around us, with our peers, with our superiors, with our family and our friends and romantic partners. Think about the vast impact this skill has on our mental health when we can go through the world that way. Rather than our emotions owning us, we own our emotions. When a child grows up with the understanding that all of their emotions are valid, then they are free to connect with them. They're free to experience them so that they can then ask themselves those very important questions. What is this about? What is this coming from? Okay, now how can I share this with the person that I'm struggling with? Or even just share it with someone just to get it off my chest, share it with a friend, share it with a therapist. It allows them to connect with their feelings, feel them, communicate them to others, get their needs and wants heard and met. If they grow up with the message that some of their feelings are not welcome, that they're not okay, that there's shame around having those thoughts and feelings, feelings of anger. You need to calm down. You are out of control. Has anyone ever in the history of being told to calm down actually ever stopped and thought, yeah, I'm out of control. I need to calm down. No, we get more angry because we feel ignored. We feel unheard. So we feel rage. It actually goes deeper. We feel vengeful, right? So we tend to get bigger with our feelings. If we say something like, I can tell you're feeling very angry right now. Can you take a deep breath, stomp your feet to work out some of those big feelings so then you can find your words to share with me? Then we can problem solve together. That's a very different feeling. Feelings of jealousy. It's not fair. He got to sit beside you last night too. You need to learn life's not always fair. Or instead, we say something like, I can totally see how that doesn't feel fair right now. And I'm not trying to make you feel that way at all. You're both just as important to me and I love sitting next to you both. But if you remember, all last week was your turn and this week is your brother's turn. If a week feels too long, we can talk about a new compromise. So any of these feelings, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of despair, these are just a few examples so you can see how different ways of addressing tough feelings can have a very lasting impact. And depending on how we address it, it will have a very different impact and whether my emotions are safe to share. And that means even if they're safe to feel, if I feel like my needs aren't gonna get met, I'm gonna stop sharing them. I'm gonna shove them down. This is clearly gonna have a deep impact on our mental health. I'm gonna cover the exact steps in just a moment on helping kids through these emotions so that you have the exact steps. Those were just a couple of examples of one way to handle it versus another way they could have a very different impact. But first, I want to talk about this really quickly, because our emotions are our guidance system, right? These are what tell us 
what we need to do, what we need to change, what we need to share, what's happening. They tell us if our boundaries are being crossed. It's really, they're really important to be able to and be allowed to feel and express. So as adults, we know that our emotions tell us, what do I need to focus on in my life right now? Is this experience or choice or person or atmosphere right for me right now, right? If you're going to work every day and you have this feeling of dread, it's time to face the feeling of dread, not push it down. We got to face it. So we want to help our kids learn this early. Why or why not? Is this situation right for me right now? So we want to teach our kids to tune into these feelings so they don't grow into adults who ignore their feelings like a lot of us have. I know I have many times in the past and I'm now learning not to do that anymore. I want my kids to be able to harness the power of their feelings and emotions as they develop so that they can heed the warning signs, heed the messages in their emotions throughout their life that will serve them in so many ways. I want my kids to know, is this a friendship that feels good? Is this a friendship that's worth my time and energy? Does it serve me? Is this activity something I still enjoy and I still want to do? Why am I feeling annoyed or jealous or angry with my mom or my sibling or my friend right now? When you have a teen who has mastered these skills, because you've worked with them throughout their childhood, you worry about them a whole lot less when they go out in the world and they're on their own and they're out at the mall for a few hours or they're out at the tennis courts for several hours at a time. You don't worry about them nearly so much because you know they have a great internal compass. So learning how to tune in and use this guidance system will serve our kids in profound ways. Now, as the parent, I know this is something that we as parents can often struggle with ourselves because we didn't get the same guidance that we're trying to work to give our kids. You're not alone. And whether you had any idea when you took on this journey of parenthood that your kids will become a catalyst for personal growth and change or not, it is a surprising aspect of parenting for many of us. It was definitely something that took me by complete surprise. I thought I would be the one to do all of the teaching and guiding and shaping of young minds and bodies, but my children have impacted me probably just as much, if not even more than I have them. So now we're going to talk about working with our kids through these emotions. There's two times we can work on building emotional competence during their times of upset and during their times of calm. And guess when our kids are going to learn best. Guess when we usually try to teach them. Of course, we still need to do both and we need tools for both. But obviously, our kids learn best during quiet times when their minds are calm, when they don't have so much adrenaline flushing through their system, when they're not in their fight, flight, or freeze response, right? When they're not in their limbic brain, in their amygdala, in their fight, flight, or freeze response system. But we try to teach them most of the time in the moment when they're in that state of mind and they really don't learn much. But in the moment, here are some things you can do. Number one, allow their feelings. Make space for them to have their feelings, regardless of how extreme they may feel to you. The general message we're sending is that feelings are valid, but that all reactions are not. But the reaction isn't something we can work on in that moment. We're going to do that later. So remember that if resentments or feelings of being unheard have built up over time, we all, our kids are no exception. We're going to carry this forward to the next interaction. So when we make room for these feelings, no matter how big, we help to deflate the current and future reactions. So once kids feel like my feelings are valid, those emotions are going to get much smaller in the future. 
So then number two, we're going to connect with the feeling. I can see you're feeling really angry. You're frustrated. You're annoyed. You're stressed. You're jealous about X. I know it's frustrating when whatever happens. We're connecting with their feeling. We're showing empathy. And then we're inviting our child to choose a coping strategy. So in the example earlier, when I said, you know, can you take a deep breath? Can you stomp your feet? Different children are going to have different coping strategies that are going to work for them. Some kids are more physical and they need to get it out in a physical way. They need to go run around. They need to stomp their feet. They need to hit the couch. They need to throw a pillow. Whatever is allowed in your home, you may not be okay with them picking up a toy and throwing it because it might break, but you're okay with them picking up a stuffed animal and throwing it. You're okay with them punching the pillow, but you're not okay with them slamming the door. So you let them know within the boundaries what you're okay with with their reaction, and then you're going to invite them to a coping strategy. And you may have to do some trial and error. It's going to be a little bit of a scientific experiment to figure out what works for your child. Some kids counting works, counting down or counting up. Some kids deep breaths will work. Other kids are going to need to do something physical. Some kids might need to go, they have a little mini trampoline they can go jump on for, um, you know, they might need 60 seconds or a minute or a few minutes or whatever they need on that. Some kids might want to go read quietly in the corner, especially as they get older, you'll find their coping strategies will be a little different. They may want to go journal. They may want to go talk with a friend. Do you want to go in your room and talk with a friend until you calm down? Then we can talk about it after. You're going to invite them to their coping strategy that works for them. So here's a lot of different options. I already covered a lot of them, but some kids will do drawing and painting. Like I said, journaling, a movement or exercise, talking or hugging, whether that's with you or as they get older, they may go to a friend first and then come back to you. We all have strategies that work better for us. Mine is usually sometimes exercise, like walking or running or getting out my energy that way. I think through all of my stuff that way. Sometimes talking to a friend or my therapist, our kids will find what works for them. Then once they're calm, you can move to the problem solving. Invite them to problem solve with you. You are feeling really disappointed that your friend can't play today. Let's think of some other things that we can do today instead. And then we can set up another play date, maybe for next week. Here are lots of different ways you can work with your kids during quiet times to help improve their emotional competence or emotional intelligence. You can talk about the emotions of characters in shows, movies, and books. You can stop in the middle and ask your child. And I do this to my kids too. We'll be in the middle of a show and I will stop it either to just teach a really good lesson about what the choices the character's making or talk about their feelings, what they're feeling, what's really going on. Maybe there's something that they're not really understanding and they're getting angry about something that if they understood what was really happening, they might not actually be angry at all. So we talk about all of these things, how nuanced situations really are versus our actual understanding of them. And sometimes we might need to ask some questions to get outside of those. So you can ask your kids, what do you think that character's feeling right now? If she knew it was really happening, how do you think she would feel about that? So you can ask some of those deeper questions. If you were that character, what would you do if you were feeling that way or you were in that situation? Uh, a second thing, you can help them identify which body parts give them their first warning that they're becoming angry or so angry that they might not be able to control their emotions. So some kids will clench their fists. Some kids will start shaking. Some kids will sweat. Some kids will feel their heart rate pick up. They'll tense their shoulders. You can share your own warning signs. What do you notice? I feel like hot in my face and my neck. That's how I know I'm starting to get angry. Like it sort of just kind of rushes up to my head. I also can feel my heart racing start to pick up too. Then you're going to teach coping strategies during these quiet times. So you want to go over the list and ask them which ones they would like to try next time. 
whether it's journaling, whether it's playing quietly, whether it's talking to a friend, whether it's jumping on their trampoline, whether it's running around the backyard or running around the couch or throwing a stuffed animal, whether it's drawing or listening to music, you can give them the whole list, deep breathing or counting down or counting up. Offer them all those strategies and see which one feels right to them to try the next time. So the next time they start to have a big feeling, you can say, remember the last time you said you wanted to try running around the couch. So why don't you go run around the couch right now? If you don't feel quite calm enough, run around a couple times. See if you're calm enough for us to move to problem solving. You can role play ways to manage big feelings. And then you can give some examples and appropriate tones of voice. So this is something like, The next time you're feeling angry that your friend can't come to play, here is what you might be able to say. I'm feeling really angry. I was really excited about playing with my friend today and now he can't come and I'm really disappointed. So you want to give them some examples of how they can share those feelings. You can use positive reinforcement. So when you see your child regulating well, you can point it out. You remain calm and explained why you were upset. That was very level-headed. You can read books about emotions. I love this. I have a couple of lists of books for my classes on emotions, but you know, some of these, just to get you started, are really good for young kids. Others can be used for kids five to 10 and even tweens. A couple of these are Understanding Myself, A Kid's Guide to Intense Emotions and Strong Feelings, and The Feeling and Keeping of Your Emotions for Girls 8 Plus. And then there are so many books for emotions for younger kids. You could just look up books about emotions for toddlers. You know, if you Go on to Amazon. You can even pick like the age range. So you can type in books about emotions and put in the age range and you could come up with a whole bunch of books yourself that you can start reading with your kids. It's great because you're, they're learning about emotions. They're learning that they're all normal. They're learning what they're called. And you can have a discussion about them as you're reading the books, about the characters, about the feelings themselves, about times that they felt that. You can share times you felt that emotion and then how you handled it. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about parents for a minute because... It's really important to understand that parenting is going to bring out a gamut of emotions, negative and positive, from milder ones like provoked and annoyed to downright furious, ashamed, jealous, and resentful. These are close, intimate relationships, and relationships are going to test us. It's what we do with these feelings, how we express them, remembering that expressing emotions at appropriate levels at appropriate times with the appropriate person is emotional competence. So this is something we're always working on. You know, it's not something that we just master and we're good to go. It's something we're constantly working on is our emotional intelligence and always checking in with ourselves. And we do get better. We do improve over time, but it still is a lifelong practice. So when we do share feelings, we want to use neutral language and use I statements. I feel X because Y and now Z. I feel disrespected because I asked for the dishes to be rinsed. Now they sat in there so long they have to soak and they won't get washed tonight. We want to keep it global and passive. Now remember, I'm going to go back here. I'm going to pull this into mental health. This is all really important to mental health because it teaches our kids we're setting an example on how to handle these big emotions. It helps so much with relationships, relational intelligence, and relational intelligence is so important to our mental health, right? to feel like we're showing up for people the way they need, that they're showing up the way that we need. And to be able to have those types of relationships, we need to have these skills. So this is a really important part of our mental health. We want to keep it global and passive. We're not sugarcoating things or make it so we don't point out where they didn't follow through on their responsibility. 
you can have a talk about responsibility later, but it's so that we don't put the other person on the defensive. If we say, I told you to clean off your dishes and now we won't have clean dishes tomorrow because of your irresponsibility, you can see how that might not be received nearly as well. Your child is not going to want to go wash their dish now. (laughs) They're going to be feeling resentful and angry and ashamed. They might be feeling shame or guilt or um, a lot of other things that aren't so nice to feel rather than use it as a teaching experience. I feel disrespected because I asked for the dishes to be rinsed, right? That's more of a teaching experience. Oh, okay, I need to remember to do that. It's a lot more effective. Now, what we're trying to fix is the following through, doing what's expected. So the language of blame and shame is not gonna be helpful in achieving that end goal. So when it comes to feelings, we need to hold the same space and have the same grace for ourselves as we are learning to have for our kids. We are overcoming more programming than our kids are, but it's important to do the work to allow our emotions, make peace with them, all of them, even the uncomfortable ones, especially the uncomfortable ones. So there's a lot of emotions and emotions are very nuanced. And yet how many emotion words do we actually use regularly? I mean, we experience most of these emotions pretty often, but how many words for emotions do we use? right? Mad, sad, happy, afraid, surprised, maybe frustrated and annoyed, but usually not a lot. But there's so many more emotions. And some of these are really triggering. These are emotions that can make us really uncomfortable. What about humiliated, betrayed, disrespected, ridiculed, furious, jealous? The reason this is important work is twofold. So number one, we can't teach our kids to do work that we aren't doing. If our emotions like shame or disrespect are triggered, by particular scenarios and we don't do some work around it, it will continue to control us. And that means we will continue to react to our children's behaviors in ways we don't want to or feel good about. So one scenario might be you don't take care of some responsibility and it leads to a consequence that triggers you. Something like feeling humiliated. You're in your car feeling humiliated, furious with yourself. In that moment, your child mentions the incident, innocently asking you and you blow up. Now you feel all of this and ashamed for taking it out on your child on top of it. So this is the self-awareness that we want to work on with our own emotions. Sometimes these triggers can be deep-seated and from years of programming that need to be undone. Sometimes it's just an awareness and confronting our misguided belief about who we think we're supposed to be. And I could go really deep into this and talk for hours about social programming and common shame and other emotional triggers. But... I want to get to the second reason and get on to the other key area for mental health. And the second reason is, how can we lead our kids in learning to accept and connect with their emotions if we continue to remain reactive to our own? So doing our own work around our triggers, learning what they are, getting connected, becoming aware of them, and our emotions is really important. So this can likely include challenging any belief that doesn't serve us or our kids I actually did two episodes on shame that you may want to go back and listen to. Number 284, Three Steps to Conquering Parenting Shame. And number 285, How to Raise Shame Resilient Kids. So those are kind of go back to back, dealing with our own shame, working on our own shame triggers, and then helping our kids so that they don't even develop those shame triggers or so they can learn how to overcome their own. And then helping our kids become shame resilient so that they don't even develop, hopefully in the first place, the shame triggers that are common to so many of us today. 
So what we're going to want to do is challenge any belief that doesn't serve us or our kids. And here's just one example. 80% of parents believe that if they were better parents, their toddler wouldn't have meltdowns. Now, this is clearly an unrealistic expectation, and it only stresses out the parent, which then is going to cause more stress to the child because when the parent is stressed, the child is going to feed off of us, off of our stress. They're going to stress more. It's going to increase the tantrum. This whittles away at our identity as a good parent, and all of the stress then comes out and affects our kids. So you want to make sure your expectations of yourself and of your child are realistic just to begin with. Then you can move on to problem solve a behavior or pattern you want to improve. Also working on sitting with being okay with these behaviors, knowing that you are not supposed to be perfect, that your child is not supposed to behave perfectly and digging into some of that about why it's good that children have tantrums, why this is just a part of their development. When you can start to understand child development, start to understand then how to help them through it. And if there's a trigger in that, what is the perfectionism? Where is that coming from? If that's the trigger, what is the trigger behind that? Where the expectation is that my child is perfect, doing some of that work behind it. I'm going to get to the next key area and we'll talk about depression signs and symptoms and suicide prevention right after a word from our sponsors. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories, including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. 
air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back, we're going to get into the next key area, and that is environment. Environment matters. So we have control for the most part over our environment at home. But what if there's another environment in their life that is affecting them? a toxic sports team they happen to be on, after-school care program that isn't going so well, school itself. We all have heard the horror stories of kids so badly bullied that their mental health and self-concept took a complete nosedive. There are many reasons an environment can affect mental health. Whether it's just not a good fit, our child isn't liking it anymore, it's a real stress and it's a struggle, it's sapping all the joy out of it, or it actually it isn't the right fit for their personality, for their learning style, Whatever that is, as adults, we have probably all worked for at least one company where the culture or our particular boss was so controlling and stifling that it affected our mental health. Kids don't have the same developed sense of putting things in perspective that we do. So when this happens during childhood, it can feel pretty devastating. Even as an adult, when I've dealt with these kinds of things, I've had times where it's extremely difficult and it's so hard to get up out of bed in the morning. But when you're a child, like you don't understand that there's better days ahead. As an adult, we can problem solve and figure out how to create better days ahead, how to change jobs, change careers. For kids, this just feels like they don't know how long this is going to continue on. And so this can feel really heavy to children. And in my perspective, there's no sports team, no after school care program, no music, no dance program or school that is worth sacrificing my child's sense of self and their mental health. There's always an alternative. Being open to listen and problem solve, even if it's in steps, and discuss with our child the steps that we need to take along the way as we work towards a solution. Working together with them as their advocate on their team and checking in with them very frequently, like every day as we work through it. Allowing them to take a mental health day from the team, the school, the after school care program, whatever it is, just to relieve the pressure. Now, last year when my son was really struggling because he was being bullied, we really worked together as a team to problem solve. We worked with the school and they were amazing. The front office staff was amazing. The principal was amazing. The counselor was amazing. His teacher was amazing. They all really stepped up. But we also took a day off amidst the struggle to allow him a day to decompress and gather his thoughts and recenter. We talked about how his happiness was the most important thing and how we need to work together to make the right decisions for the long term, but also that the short term matters too. And I've also had a time once in the past where we actually did have to change schools when the environment became very toxic and damaging to two of my children. A new principal who was not even remotely helpful among several other issues that really just exacerbated the problem. Now, all this is to say, 
Don't be afraid to take matters into your own hands. If your child is struggling and suffering, you can research alternatives for your child to have an environment that is nourishing to their sense of self rather than damaging. I think so many of us, myself included, especially in the past, but I've learned my lesson. We tend to abdicate our authority over our children, even when our gut is telling us that something is wrong and something is off. But we often will push it aside because we're afraid that maybe we're raising our children to be too entitled, you know, because we'll hear things like all the other kids in class are doing fine, but your child is the one who's struggling. Well, chances are it's not just your child who's struggling, but it's really important that we learn to connect with our intuition, with our inner voice. And we know something is off with our child. It's okay to step up and it's okay to advocate for them. And it's okay to go against the flow. And I know that this could be really hard. This is something I've struggled with in the past and I've come a long way, but I'm still working on is that, you know, when you grow up feeling like you need to follow the rules, you need to be polite and kind and never really, you know, rock the boat. It's hard to be that person to go in and rock the boat. But when you know that your child is really struggling and your child is coming home every day from school crying or upset or struggling or saying it's just not working or that they don't want to do it anymore, don't want to go to school anymore, something needs to be done. No situation should ever be that a child is struggling that much to get through. So it's okay to make waves. It's okay to be assertive when it comes to, well, anything, whether it's our children or ourselves. And being a parent has definitely challenged me in this way. When everyone else seems to be fine, they're following the status quo, they think this is the greatest team or the greatest school or the greatest whatever ever, and you're the one with the kids struggling through it, and you have to confront the problem, I know it's hard to overcome all our own stuff, or at least overcome enough of our stuff to be able to confront the problem and assertively advocate for our child. But what I've also learned is whenever one child is having struggles, and you start to dig in a little bit to the situation, you will often find other parents come out of the woodwork to share their exact same issues or very similar issues in that same scenario. I had that in the past where I would post something on Facebook. I'm struggling with this particular situation here. And I had several parents message me and say, we had the exact same issue. And here's what we did. It's just people tend to stay really quiet about it because they don't want to make it public. They just don't want to rock the boat, even though they did still deal with it privately. So I realize there's actually one other area I really want to cover before I get to the depression signs and symptoms and treatment and suicide prevention. So I think the best thing to do at this point is to cover this third area and then cover depression and anxiety signs and symptoms and treatments and suicide prevention in the next episode. Because obviously that's a really big topic. Another one I don't want to skimp on. So we'll make this a three-part series. Okay, so the third area for today is social media. Talk to your kids about social media. So as I shared in last week's episode, children's mental health was already on a very serious decline even before the pandemic, with pediatric suicide rates tripling between 2007 and 2017 in the U.S., according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. One of the major causes that researchers found, social media. Now, this is not the only cause, but it is one of the major causes. So we already know this, monitor and discuss social media with our kids. I think a lot of parents were well aware of the cyberbullying phenomenon, and we understand the importance of monitoring our kids' social media, making sure that they're not getting bullied online, 
and locking down their devices to the degree possible, keeping them off of apps where it's more likely that they're going to be bullied, making sure they're staying on age-appropriate apps. But the area that seems to often slip through here are the talks about how kids are perceiving social media. Kids are so impressionable. My youngest son will come and this craziest stuff he hears online, he believes it. And so we're constantly having talks about how you can't believe everything you see or hear on social media or online. We have to make them social media savvy, internet savvy. Talk to your kids about how. I don't care if it's influencers or their friends that they follow, but we want to teach them how people, for the most part, really only share the highlights of their lives. This is their highlight reel. This is their teaser. This is the most exciting moments, the most fun moments. They share the amazing things, the fun things, the big vacations, the trips to theme parks, when they're at the mall with their friends, the trophy their team won. They don't share the big family blow up that happened trying to decide which activity to do that day. They don't share about how they and their best friend had a fight right after that picture. They don't share about the party they didn't get invited to and how they cried all night or that their parents got in a big fight and one of them stormed out or that they didn't actually even get to play in that championship game that their team won. They're just, but they were there and sat on the bench the whole time or they lost their wallet at the theme park or the mall with $100 cash in it or how many times they took that selfie to get it just perfect. Explain to your kids social media for a lot of people, is about ego. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to understand it. You know, I went through some really dark times these last five years, some deep soul searching, some very dark nights of the soul, some times where I felt very lost about what I wanted and how I wanted to get there. Did I share any of that on social media? No, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because it's private. Social media just doesn't feel like the place to share that stuff. I shared with my close friends. I talked a lot of stuff through with my therapist. I worked my own way through with a lot of my own processes, you know, and I have an acquaintance who shares a lot on social media about every emotion she has, every moment she has it. She will write paragraphs of every up and every down. And it's honestly exhausting to try to keep up with her. So that's not common, but we don't want to hear that on social media. I don't think most people do. So most people don't share it. You want to teach your kids that most people use social media to share the cleaned up pretty picture of their lives. The people they see on screen, whether it's an influencer or a friend who seems to have it all, they struggle like everyone else. No one is free from challenges. Everyone is always working on or struggling with one or more aspects of their lives. Whether it's financial, it's physical, it's relational, it's a career fulfillment, We're all human and none of us are immune. No one has a perfect life. Money doesn't inoculate you from all the same problems everyone else has that money can't buy. Illness, heartbreak, worthiness, belonging, connection, you name it. So walking through social media with your kids and helping them decode or at least understand what's happening behind the scenes or could be. I ask my kids, how do you know what that person's family is like? They say, well, I don't. I say, exactly. How do you know their parents get along or that they get along with their siblings or that they don't hear a lot of fights about money or that someone they really love isn't really, really ill? We never know what's really going on in someone's life. We've heard these stories, people that show up like they're so wealthy when in actuality, they're actually extremely broke and it's all a show. So we just never know and we cannot believe what we see. It may be that their life is really good and we certainly hope so. 
but chances are there are many struggles we just aren't seeing. So never comparing ourselves to these people because chances are you have things they wish they had. Like my 12-year-old daughter actually shared with me the other day. She said, you and Papa always told us how lucky we are, but I didn't really understand it, but now I do. And I said, in what way? How do you mean that? And she said, I understand how loving and peaceful our home is compared to what most kids have. So what one of the things that they had learned about the decline in kids' mental health was that they were comparing themselves to people on social media, to people's perfect looking lives and felt like they were falling so far short, like their life was so much worse than other people. And so we need to make sure that kids understand that social media in most cases is really just marketing. So in the next episode, I'm going to cover signs and symptoms of common mental health concerns like depression and anxiety and treatments and suicide prevention. If you feel like your parenting approach is not where you'd like it to be right now, the classes Intro to Discipline, Discipline Tools for Toddlers, Preschoolers, Kids 5 to 10, and Tweens and Teens cover all the basic knowledge, tools, skills for taking a positive, conscious, gentle parenting approach to give our kids a solid foundation for self-esteem and mental health. The same goes for all the other discipline classes, power struggles, getting kids to listen, misbehaviors and solutions, the self-esteem classes, chores and allowance, growth mindset, raising responsible kids, 60 classes on demand at yourvillageonline.com to make sure that your kids are ready to thrive in the world and reach their potential. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.